We're just going to look at this quote here. Some of you might know Tom Short. He's a campus preacher. He sent out an email this week just related to the things going on in our culture as it relates to, to the Holy Week of Easter. But I just love, uh, love his quote here. I'm really going to use that to set the table for us, and then we'll pray here. But um, speaking of the, the, the events related to this week, uh, coming up to Easter here, Easter morning today, um, he said this, These events have changed the world forever. They have opened up the gates of heaven to any who would come to Jesus in humble faith. They give hope to every single one of us. And so we're going to look at some of the events of Easter, and including the, the original Resurrection Sunday, uh, that very first Easter morning. And, um, you know, I think we're going to, I hope you'll come away encouraged by, by what we have um, through our, our, our risen Lord and also through the scriptures here. And the hope will just be to increase your, your confidence for this life and for, for eternity. And so um, we'll take a look at these events here, and, but we're going to pray first here, and then we'll, we'll kind of do a quick review, get your uh, trivia together related to the, the week of Easter here. We'll uh, hand out prizes if you get some of these questions right, but we'll pray first. Uh, well, Lord Jesus, we do just thank you for this day. We do worship you as the risen Lord, and we thank you that you're here with us through your spirit. We thank you that um, you are coming back to take those who are yours to, to a place where there is no more sadness, no more death, no more things that are broken, but uh, to a place where we can live with you forever. And I thank you, Lord, that you've done things that can help us have confidence about eternal life and, and confidence about living life to the fullest here on earth. And I just pray you'd speak to our hearts uh, encourage us, accomplish your will this morning. We just tell you, we, we worship you as the risen Lord. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. So we're going to look at the, the events from the week of Easter here. Really, last week we celebrated Palm Sunday. It was the week that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on uh, the king who rode in on a humble donkey, you know. And um, But then, uh, you know, a few other days went here. We're going to skip ahead to... Uh, the Thursday this past week. I don't know if you guys know what that was called. Well, now you do. Um, anyone remember Monday, Thursday? What happened on Monday, Monday, Thursday? Anyone know? Significant events. Dennis, you can't answer. Um, anyone else? What happened on Monday, Thursday that we remember? Kids, adults, viewer, anyone? Anyone know? Just uh, someone said something about Isabella. Close, very close. Only one day away from that. He was arrested. Yes, I'll give you a hint here. Um, the last supper. The last supper. This young lady right here. <laughs> but uh, you know, it was it was when he, he uh, had the last supper with the disciples. He he really did for the first time the Lord's supper that we are told to practice in in memory of what He's done for us here. Also, that would have been the the same time frame when Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. And then after they left here, we get um, books of the Bible, like John chapter uh, 13, 14, 15, 16, all the way up. You know, I, somewhere between that evening and the following early morning is when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane as well. So that's Monday, Thursday. Um, you might study up on that. No, just uh, that's, that's not, we'll see. The next one, Good Friday. What happened on Good Friday, Isabella? 
who died, yes, who died on the cross for us. So here's a, just a, a, a picture of that, Good Friday. And then, um, anyone know what Saturday following Good Friday is called? I'll give you a hint. Holy Saturday, all right, okay. <laughs> I was talking to my wife about this. She said, I grew up in the church all my life, and I never heard it called Holy Saturday. I think you, you have to be in certain circles to catch that one. But uh, that's what it is traditionally called in, um, you know, it's Holy Saturday. And what is monumental about Saturday, or what's the, what do we remember on that Saturday? On the Saturday. The tomb was still occupied. Yes, he was put in the tomb. You know, it was, Jesus died on, on Friday, died for our sins. Saturday was buried, or, you know, he was in the tomb from Friday to Saturday, rose on Sunday. But, um, you know, it was just him being in the tomb is what's remembered on, on Holy Saturday. Some would call it the Great Sabbath when Jesus was at rest between that Friday and that Sunday. Um, and then the next event... Easter Sunday, and we remember that the tomb was empty and Jesus rose. And, um, you know, one of the questions I want to ask for you, uh, of you guys, is out of those different events from the, the week of Easter, which one was the most important event out of those series uh, of events? Any guesses? Graham? Um, Friday when he died. Friday when he died. That is a very good option. Anyone else have guesses? Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday. And any other options? Okay, let's see. So it's really coming down between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Anyone think it was Maundy Thursday? That's really we should remember. Obviously not because no one knew that coming into this. Um, but yeah, really, you know, some would say between Good Friday when he died for our sins and Easter Sunday when he rose from the dead, you know, maybe which one is the most important? Well, that's a great question. I, I'm glad you asked that. We'll, we'll answer that here as we go. You know, in some ways it is, kind of a trick question. Um, I think about the story where Jesus, uh, there was a paralyzed man that was brought to him, and he was on a mat, and his friends lowered him through the roof, and the first thing Jesus said to that man was, your sins are forgiven. And the people were appalled, the Pharisees were appalled, and they said this, um, they said to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus knew immediately, this is Mark chapter 2, I'm just reading from what they were thinking. So he asked, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier for, uh, to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or pick up your mat and walk? He goes on to say, so I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And you know, in some ways that, that is a small snapshot of what occurred between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Jesus said, hey, forgive your sins to this guy. And, and then he, people were like, hey, that sounds like blasphemy. But, it, but he said, well, what's easier to do, to forgive someone's sins or to heal a paralyzed man who's never walked before? And it's a trick question. The answer is only God can forgive sins and only God could heal a person like that. And, and Easter Sunday is that snapshot amplified you know, infinitely, where only God could die on the cross for all our sins, which was a very important thing, but then in rising from the grave on Sunday proved that he had the authority to do such a thing and grant eternal life. And so it's kind of a, we'll, we'll look at some, uh, another verse that maybe clarifies that even more here. But um, anyways, uh, here's, here's a picture. Anyone recognize this picture? 
Uh, this is some Bible trivia. Anyone know familiar face? Shroud of Turin. This is the, if you've ever seen the image from the Shroud of Turin, I actually got to go on a mission trip years ago, and the Shroud of Turin was on display in Turin, Italy. We have a church there. And so, um, but this is the image that you see on the cloth that they have there, and uh, some have transposed that into what maybe the face that made that image would have looked like. And, and this is another picture here. How many of you have seen this picture before? Anyone know who this is a picture of? Um, Jesus. Um, but this is one that comes from Heaven is for Real, and there's, a, the, I think it's the, the Russian girl that painted a picture of her experience of Jesus. But someone, that, I just saw this online, that when you take the Shroud of Turin and you transpose that and you take this picture of others who say they had interacted with Jesus, it's interesting to see the similarities. Is this what Jesus is going to look like when we see him? I don't know. Don't quote me on that. But it is something to, uh, something to think about here. Just, I thought, a little food for thought. But... Um, we're going to look at some Easter quotes here about what the most important event of Easter is. This one is from um, Timothy Keller. He's a, a pastor in a church in downtown New York City. And he said this. He said, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which, hangs, uh, on which everything hangs is not whether you like his teaching or not, whether or not you like his teaching but whether or not he rose from the dead. If he rose from the dead, it makes all the difference. It, it gives authority and credibility to everything else he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, you can kind of throw out whatever you want because he said he was going to do that. And if he didn't, then... But if he did, these are some of the most important things. What he said are some of the most important things we need to catch. Another quote here. This is C.S. Lewis. Um, to preach Christ Christianity meant to the apostles primarily to preach the resurrection. The resurrection is the central theme in every Christian sermon reported in the Acts. The resurrections and its consequence were the gospel or good news which Christians brought. C.S. Lewis. One more quote here from one of the early church fathers here. I don't know if you know Phil Robertson. He was some um, first century uh, disciple. Maybe you know... Uh, uh, no, just joking, but uh, Phil, Phil said this. Some of you know he's part of an outspoken family, Christian family here, the, of the Beth dynasty, if you will. Um, but he said, basically, I don't ever move too far past the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus because it's of first importance. And I make sure it's of first importance with anyone I'm talking to. It all comes down to that, really, when you get right down to it. So it's not complex, Jesus removed our sins and guarantees we can be raised from the dead. You know, I, I kind of like what Phil had to say there. One last quote I'll give you is actually from the Bible, from one of the writers in the Bible here. Some of you have heard of the Apostle Paul. He put it like this. We'll just read this together. If you have a house Bible or an electronic one, feel free to read along with me here. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we'll just read this real quick and... Again, this idea is to catch what, what is the most important thing related to Easter here. And uh, I think Paul puts it well, puts it accurately. But he says, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, um, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. And this is where it gets uh, important here. For what I received... I passed on to you as of first importance. 
think our, our house Bible here says what was most important. A first important, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, uh, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. But you know, um, Paul, I think, summarizing, you know what's important about the events leading up to Easter? Well, he said, here's what's of the first importance. And again, I like Phil Robertson. I, I don't know what's first importance to you in the Bible and in the Christian life, but this is what Paul said should be of first importance, is that Christ died for our sins. And he was buried, kind of just confirming that he really did die. Some would say maybe he didn't die. He was buried and he, raised, he was raised again on the third day, uh, according to the scriptures. And then he goes on to talk about how he appeared. But all three of those are listed as a part of the good news and what is of first importance. So we need to catch that he died for our sins is really important and that he was buried is important and that he rose again. And, and Paul goes on to say he really puts some emphasis on, um, on the resurrection. He basically says, hey, if Paul didn't rise from the dead, we'll read this here. If it's preached that Christ, um, Paul didn't rise from the dead. If it's preached that Christ had been raised, uh, has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. I might throw in here, he has risen. He's risen, risen indeed. All right. Um, there we go. Sorry, I should have given a cue. Um, you know, and, and one of the things we're just going to, I'd like to just draw your attention to this morning, again, of first importance, he died, and he was raised on, on that very first Easter Sunday morning. But one that I, I feel like I was thinking through different phases of my life, God has shown me the importance of the fact that Jesus died. You know, um, I remember at one point when I was a, just first a Christian, I thought the most important thing was Jesus dying on the cross for my sins, and, and all of these are important. But to me, I used to wear this T-shirt that I had a picture of Jesus on a cross, and it was, uh, you know, had the thorns and the blood and all of that. But at the bottom it said, you know, if a picture's worth a thousand words, what is this worth to you? And I just really, you know, felt the importance of Jesus died for my sins. It took me a while to figure that out. I, I knew he died for the world. It took me almost 25 years to realize he died for my sins. Um, then over time, uh, I feel like God emphasize in, in my life the idea that, well, the only way you know for sure he died for your sins was that he was raised from the dead to prove he had the authority to do it. And there was a time where I was like, wow, this is this new discovery to me. The resurrection is really important. Paul says it's so important that if it didn't happen, your faith is useless and you're actually still in your sins. And I was like, wow, this is really important about the resurrection. And then, you know, one of the things that God's been teaching me lately as I was praying about what should I share, I just thought, well, what has God been teaching me? What has he been encouraging my heart with related to all this? And, and you know what that is? Uh, recently I realized that the idea that Jesus appeared, that he appeared to people. He died and he rose again, but that he appeared to people is actually a really big deal. Can you imagine what it, what it would have been like if, if Jesus died on the cross that Good Friday and he was buried and he rose again 
And what if he didn't appear to anyone? What if he just left a note in the tomb that said, I'm not here, I've gone to heaven, you know what to do, see you there. Would that have been, how, how would that have affected the lives of those first disciples? Do you think they would have been as confident as they were? Do you think they would have been as fearless? I don't think so. I know if he left me that note, I'd been like, let's keep ourselves locked in the room here, you know? Um, but Jesus began to appear to the witnesses and to show himself alive. And it transformed these disciples who locked themselves in their room fearfully to these men who ended up giving their lives, men and women who uh, testified to what they knew to be true about Jesus and, and even their interaction with him after he rose from the dead. And so um, it's of greater importance than I last realized. And one of my favorites, you know, there's a couple other places where it says, Acts 1-3, it just says, uh, it says this, after suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So he appeared to these witnesses, to those who, who wrote down what we now have today. Um, another place, Peter was preaching, and he says this, we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. And he was seen not by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. You know, Jesus appeared to those who knew him. Imagine if he appeared to someone who'd never met him before, and he said, I'm Jesus, and they said, I, I interacted with Jesus, and was it the same Jesus, like, who before he went to the cross? Well, I don't know. I never knew him. But he appeared to those who knew him. He appeared even to his half-brother James, you know, as one of the witnesses here as well. But I'm just going to have us read real quickly the account of um, one of the witnesses, the Apostle John. We're just going to read an excerpt from John chapter 20 of his account of what played out that first Easter morning here. He's, he's one of my favorites uh, of the witnesses here, but they're all good. Um, John chapter 20, we're just going to read this to, to catch his perspective and, and draw out a few points here, but you can read along with me if you like. Um, it says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. That was John. John was one of the youngest disciples, evidently in better shape than Peter. Beat him to the tomb. Um, he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went in, into the tomb. John, being younger, I think might have been afraid to go into the tomb. Peter was a little more brave and zealous, and he went in and checked it out. Um, goes on to say he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. Again, that's the idea of the Shroud of Turin. That's the debate. Was that the cloth or not? The cloth, uh, and then the cloth was folded up separate uh, by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. We'll skip on ahead here. On the evening of that first day of the week, the, the evening of that very first Easter Sunday, when the disciples were together, the doors were locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. 
After he said this, he showed them his hands inside, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not there when Jesus, when, uh, with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. And he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you've seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. I really love that last verse of the whole passage there. John said, hey, look, there's a lot of things that Jesus did, a lot of miracles, things that were too many to write about, but I wrote these down for you to believe. If you want to believe, I've given you everything you need to believe that he was the Christ, the Savior who was to come. And through believing in him, you can have life in his name, eternal life. Life to the fullest. And we're just going to do, you know, the events of Easter are really the essence of the gospel, that he died for our sins and that he was buried and that he rose again. And yet the gospel is a part of a bigger story here. And, you know, John writes in another place, 1 John 5.13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. John said, I wrote these down again so that you may know you have eternal life. The theme of Easter that we're talking about as a church is the confidence of Easter. And I don't know about you, but from this I get the idea God wants us to be confident. He doesn't want us to have a blind faith. He doesn't want to have this little glimmer of a hope. He says, I want you to know you have eternal life. He wants us to be confident. And so we're, uh, we're just going to look at, kind of back up and look at the bigger picture. We're going to look real quickly here at, um, at the the context for, for the good news here. Really, I'm calling it Five Eternal Truths in Five Minutes, and we're just going to go through the gospel, and we're going to pray, and we're going to invite the band back up here. But this is the, the context that these events occurred. And we'll look at this first truth here is that um, we need to realize that, that God created this world perfectly. We see this in Genesis. He said, uh, God saw all that he made, and it was very good. God created this world perfectly, and he created you and I perfectly to have a loving relationship with him, loving and lasting. You know, when Jesus was asked, what's the most important command to remember, Jesus boiled it down to, well, loving God and loving your neighbors. But he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. God has given us these different faculties to have a loving relationship with him. He wants us to love him passionately, emotionally. He wants us to love him thoughtfully with our mind, excuse me. <clears throat> he wants us to love him volitionally with our soul. You have a choice to love him or not love him. And your soul is also an eternal part of you as well. God has designed us for loving and lasting relationship. So he created us and the world perfectly for that. That's the first truth. Second truth is this. 
Sin has broken our world and severed our relationship with God. Starting with Adam and Eve, the relationship with God we're designed to have has been severed. And this world that was created perfectly is now experiencing brokenness and, and tarnished because of sin. This is a wild verse here in Hosea. The prophet said this. You know, sin affects even the animals and stuff. He said, therefore the land and everyone who lives in it languishes along with the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky and also the fish of the sea disappear. All of this is because of our sin. It's broken this world. I think about different things. Maybe you've experienced brokenness in your own lives. I um, just heard of some of the brokenness here this last week. We had some friends stay in our home. Um, just a, a week or so ago, and um, they were traveling, and eventually they made it back home, and she was pregnant and uh, expecting, you know, uh, to have another little one. I think it would have been number four for them, and uh, when they got home after their trip, they were gone for about two weeks. They went to the ultrasound, and there was no more heartbeat in that little baby, and then they went on to get the news that their youngest um, had a they had known before there had been a tumor in his brain, but it had not grown or done anything. The tumor, when they checked it out, that same time period here, was more than twice the size it was before. And all of that is just a part of the brokenness. We live in a broken world that was never designed to have tumors or miscarriages or anything like that. And this world is broken. We've got to catch that. It's not the way God intended it to be. But, you know, there's a, a more serious side of all of that is that... Um, not only is sin in general has broken this world, but our sin has earned God's eternal punishment. <coughs> the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Another place says the wages of sin is death. There's brokenness in the, this world, but when you and I sin against our eternal creator, it carries an eternal punishment. And so uh, in some ways this is the context of the good news. It's, the context is bad news. We live in a broken world, and not only that, we have sinned against our Creator, and there's consequence, great consequence for that. The good news is, and the next couple truths here, we'll see that, is that God came into this broken world in the person of Jesus Christ. He personally provided a solution. You might know this verse, God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God had a rescue plan for us, from the beginning. He experienced this brokenness and he, this verse here talks about how Jesus paid the punishment for our sins to restore our relationship with God. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous, which he was for the unrighteous, you and I who have sinned against him. And he did this to bring you to God. And so God came into this broken world. That's a truth we've got to catch. He came and he died for our sins in the person of Jesus Christ. Fourth truth we've got to catch is, not only did he come and die, but he overcame. He overcame the power of sin and death through the resurrection. Again, there's this verse we just read. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. And he was buried and he was raised on the third day. He overcame death. And in doing that, he proved his divine authority to forgive our sins, and also to be able to grant us eternal life. You know, if Jesus had just died and said, well, you know, hold on to your hope, uh, uh, good luck, you know, we'd have been in a different situation. But he died, showing that, he, and he rose again, showing that he could forgive our sins. He had the authority to, and that he could grant us eternal life. Just as he overcame death, he had the authority to cause us to do the same. 
Another verse here, Romans 1.4 puts it like this. He, he was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. The last truth we're going to look at here is he came and he overcame, and guess what? Jesus is coming back again. He's coming back soon. That's the last chapter of the story. He says this, you know, the Apostle John, who recorded the, the book of Revelation, Jesus told him to write this down. Behold, I am coming soon. I'm bringing my recompense with me. I'm going to repay people for good or bad deeds. Uh, for what, Let's see, to repay each other for what he has done. John also wrote this down in the Gospel of John. He said, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Anyone who believes Jesus took their punishment on his cross, they have eternal life. Those who reject Jesus and the solution that he provided, they still have God's eternal wrath to be paid. And it remains on them. And really, when he comes back, you know, we're either going to be one of two camps. Jesus said there's going to be two groups of people. There'll be those who will give eternal life to, those who've believed in him and received him as their Lord and their Savior, those who've really responded like Thomas. Thomas went from kind of not sure that it happened to having a personal response to Jesus, saying, my Lord and my God. And there'll be those who will be guilty of sinning against their eternal creator and who will owe an eternal punishment by and having rejected his son. And so um, our hope at the firehouse is that we could get the good news out to people that, um, that God has provided a way for us, that he came and he died for our sins, and that he overcame, giving us proof so that we can have confidence about eternal life. And he's coming again to take those who belong to them, to those who belong to him. And just a couple closing verses here. If you believe, if you've personally responded to Jesus and you've said to him, my Lord, my God, if you've invited him into your life, I just want to let you know we, we're under assignments. My question to you would be, are, is what he died for, is what you're living for, I guess is the way it's put, is what you're living for worth what he died for? Are you living for something else? He died to pay for our sins, to give us eternal life. And is what you're living for, is what's most important to you of first importance? Is it getting the good news out to others, or is it something else? Is there a, a bigger fish in your world than what he says his disciples should be doing. And I hope you would make sure you're, you're in line with his thinking and under his orders, if he is your Lord and Savior. And if, if you haven't invited Jesus into your life personally, if these are just facts, you know, the facts are true, but the facts point to the risen Lord, a person you can invite into your life. And Jesus said this, and in one of his very first public messages, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent, turn from your sins, and believe the good news. Jesus wants every person to turn to him and believe the good news that he did die for your sins and he rose again and he's coming back for those who've received him. And, and he would, you know, I think he would, if you're on the fence or if you're wondering, I remember there was a time where I called myself a Christian for a number of years and I went to church. I could talk church talk, but any time I heard a pastor talk like this, like, have you personally invited Jesus into your life? I kind of knew in my heart. No one else knew, but I knew, you know what? I haven't really invited him into my heart. I, I know that he died for the world, but um, I just had a sense I needed to do that. And um, 
I kept hearing that on the radio in different places. And finally, one Sunday, I, I gave in, and I invited Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. And I hope that, uh, you know, if you're still wrestling with this or trying to figure out that you just need to know that, that God loves you right where you are. I remember one of the, the straws that broke the camel's back for me was that uh, I remember them saying, you know, Jesus knows everything you've ever done. He knows every secret, every shameful thing, and guess what? He still loves you, and he's willing to forgive you. And I just started thinking through my life the things that nobody else knew, and the idea that he would still love me, even if I came clean of those things, it just broke my heart in a good way. And I invited him into my life, and, and he, he changed it, and he's given me confidence to live in this life and, and confidence for eternity. And just my hope is if you've never invited him into your life, that you would know that he loves you. And he's willing to forgive you for anything. And he would love to, to come into your life, give you a new life. And, and so we're just going to close here. Um, and we're going to have the band come up. Again, just to believe in Jesus is just to look to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. To look to him personally. To have like that Thomas moment where you say, my Lord and my God. And so um, we're just going to close with some prayer here, guys. Um, you know, and, and maybe if you're far from God, I don't know where everyone's at here, but if you feel far from God, I encourage you to pray something like this. Just, God, if you're out there, show yourself to me. Or if Jesus is really the way to heaven, would you help me to believe that? I'd encourage you, if that is you, if you feel really far from God, that maybe you'd read the Gospel of John. He said, I wrote this so that you may believe that he is the Christ. Read that. Think about that. But maybe you're here today and, and you already know that. You know you believe he died for you. And you know you've sinned against him. And, and maybe today is the day that you would want to get right with the risen Lord. You know, you might just pray a, a prayer like, like this between you and God here. And um, just, you know, and um, this is just something you can read along here. But this is, if this is your heart, you could sure do this this morning as well. Just, dear God, thank you for creating me for a loving relationship with you. I admit that I've sinned against you and have earned your eternal punishment. I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and that you raised him from the dead. And I invite Jesus into my life as my Lord and Savior. And please help me to live for your glory. That's something you can express to God here this morning. And, and uh, you know, that same witness, John, you know, he said, uh, before he says, I write these things that you may know you have eternal life, the verse before that he says, he who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. If you have invited Christ into your life and you have the Son, you have eternal life. You can be confident about that. And you can be confident in, in sharing that with others. And if you haven't invited Jesus into your life, know that you need to do that to have his forgiveness and to have the promise of eternal life. And, and so we're just going to close. And I have you think about that as the band comes back up here. We've got one last song we're going to sing together. And we'll get on with celebrating this Easter Sunday here, but why don't, uh, why don't we just have, oh, I'll pray real quick here, we'll have the band just kind of come up and do this background song. There you go. All right. Well, Lord Jesus, we do just thank you for this morning, and we just praise you that you are the risen Lord, that you didn't just make promises that we have to hope will come true, but that you gave proof that we can trust you for eternal life. Lord, I pray that uh, if there's anyone here that's wrestling with inviting you to, to their life, Lord, that I ask you to help them. Help them just to know that you love them, 
and that you're willing to forgive them and that you want to give them a new life. I pray you'd help someone make that decision today. And Lord, we just thank you again. Help us to get this good news out to the south side of town here, to this whole area of Parker and Franktown, Elizabeth, Castle Rock, anywhere you want us to go. Lord, help us to get this good news out. We just pray all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.